God's grace, his mercy, his peace are yours through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrated just days ago. Amen. So have you put away your Christmas decorations already? Maybe, maybe I'm speaking too soon. Friday was Christmas Day. I still see lights on houses, and I still see trees lit through front windows. We're still in the throes of Christmas celebration. Maybe you have relatives sitting next to you right now, and you spent time gathering in homes, though we were limited in what we could do, maybe with travel or the size of numbers. Christmas is a time to celebrate, right? It's a time to get together and, and the warmness of, of that, that relationship we have. And, and with the, we as Christians, we celebrate in a deeper way because we celebrate that God once again has reminded us that he delivered the world's Savior. But there's another side to Christmas too. There's a far more sobering side that kind of takes away the, the glitz and the glamour of what the world has been focusing on Christmas what, since September when stores are already lit up with lights and the focus on how many shopping days you have left, there's another side to Christmas that we do need to focus on. It's a side that shows us why God sent his son into a world like this where, where problems don't just arise, but, but they intrude in our lives and, and they even bring about tragedies like the one that is spoken of here in Matthew chapter 2. Innocent children slaughtered because they were close to Jesus. That's really a sobering part of a Christmas and maybe a sad thing to talk about today, but as we look at why God records this and, and where he records it, we wouldn't have to blame Mary and Joseph for thinking that because this Savior was born, Everything was going to go right now in the world and in their lives. Even though it started out pretty rough, Christmas Eve, you hear of there's no room for them in the inn, and the child of God is laid in, in straps of cloth and lying in a manger, yet we make this away in a manger moment something that's just peaceful and placid. But, but now Mary, who's pondering these things in her heart, recognizes that everything the angels had said to she and Joseph, or, or even to her, her, her uh, aunt Elizabeth, and, and that John would be born, and Jesus would be born, and where they'd be born, and how it would happen, all these things were coming true, and shepherds came and worshipped, and they took this baby, and they couldn't believe their eyes, just as the angel, the Lord, had said. They went and told everybody, and now we're at the time much later where they had just seen these wise men, magi from the east, coming and kneeling before the one whom God sent through Mary and Joseph to be the world's savior, and they presented gifts of gold and incense and myrrh, and Mary and Joseph went from being poverty-stricken to having now gifts that were for a king. And now with angels talking and announcing and splitting open the sky and all these things happening, they probably thought from here on out, everything is going to change. Everything is going to go the right direction now. The Savior has been born. And then we see the sobering news of Matthew chapter 2 about a different king that is in the world and, and one that's, that's ruling over the area that Mary and Joseph happened to be in and where God sent the world's Savior. 
And this is the kind of king that rules in this world. It's, a, it's the kind of king that room, rules with power and prestige. And, and this king was known as Herod the Great, king of the Jews. He wasn't really a king. He was a puppet vassal of the Roman Senate. And he wasn't of the Jews. He was a foreigner. He was not a Jew. And the name great is reserved for very few people in history. And And maybe he was great in the worldly standards because he did some amazing things in that area. He started to rebuild this area that God said he would raise up for his people and would be the cradle where he would would lay his son in Israel. And and this king did amazing things. He built up cities. I had a chance to go there and to see all the amazing architecture that still stands today and the, the coliseums that he would build and the harbor that he built. And the big thing that goes on his record is the temple that he built. It is just massive and huge. The, the remnants of the foundation still stand because the pieces were just too big to move. And this is what the world recognized. It made him great. And he had everything going for him. He was ruling this area and the people had to serve him whether they wanted to or not. And he thought nothing of these Jews and their prophecies and these, these foretellings of things that would come that there would be one who would be the greatest king and rule over all other kings. He thought he was the greatest king. That's what the world called him. And then the Magi showed up at his, his castle seeking a king. And... All of a sudden, things changed for this King Herod. He became worried and stirred about this rival to his throne and to his power, and all Jerusalem was stirred with him because when he was angry, people suffered. But that's what it's like in this world, right? When evil people do evil things, and and this unbelieving king, he he was evil. And he did something unthinkable. He said, we need to get rid of this king. And, and so in his mind, he said, hey, Magic, come back. Go and worship this one. Find him and then come back and tell me about him so that I may too go and worship him. And that not, was not his intent at all. He did not come to bend a knee, but he came to break a neck. That's what the kings of this world do when their power is being threatened. Shouldn't surprise us, though. Because isn't that how man reacts when God comes into our world, into our lives? There's really two reactions when God comes. There's the reaction of fear, run and hide because we know who we are and what we've done. Or in the ignorance of who we are and what we've done, thinking too much of ourselves, we try to blot God out. We create religions that have nothing to do with the true God. We create pathways to this higher place and this greater place. Or we just say, God doesn't exist. And I rule with an iron scepter and I am God. And so he decided to send his troops into Bethlehem and put to death all the baby boys that were two and under so that he could get rid of this this rival king. And so we have now the festival of the innocents and the prophecy of Jeremiah foretold long ago was was fulfilled that Rachel would be weeping over children that were senselessly slaughtered. And the mothers whose babies now were no longer with them would be weeping uncontrollably. No one could wipe away their tears. 
prophecy fulfilled. But do you notice what else is going on in the midst of all this? God had a plan, and his plan by man will not be thwarted. And this is where the, the wonderful situation that Joseph and Mary found themselves in, where now they had gold and riches and people coming to worship this Savior who they knew was the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, things changed for them in a midnight dream and vision as God comes to Joseph and says, you need to take what you can and get your wife and this child out of here now. Don't ask questions. Don't wonder why. You cannot stay here till morning. Take everything you can carry and run to Egypt. Why does God do that? Why does God allow tragedy to happen? Why didn't he intervene in a different way? Do you ever ask those questions in your own life too when things in this world that really you had no part of come creeping in? When other people who make bad decisions and those decisions intrude in your lives or sometimes things that you don't think you deserve or things that are just random come, why doesn't God intervene? Isn't he a God who doesn't want his children to suffer? This is the way he deals with his own son. He has his son running and fleeing with Mary and Joseph because of a king that he could depose with a snap of his finger. Well, instead of us trying to figure out why God does what he does, maybe we just need to focus on this world is evil and it's consistent in what it does. This world does not receive the gospel well. In fact, the gospel is oftentimes received with the sword, and that's why between Christmas and Epiphany, we celebrate the martyrs. Those died in the faith and the, the, the slaughter of the innocents. And it's a festival because the king that came, as God foretold, was a different kind of king than the world raises up. This king was so different. This was a king that would go and be a refugee for a while in a land unknown, in the land of Egypt, while this other king would finish his reign. And then this king would be brought back into the Holy Land, but not into Jerusalem, not even to Bethlehem, but instead he would be brought up in the backwards village of Nazareth, raised up in obscurity, so that he could grow up to be the sacrifice the world needed to take care of the awful sins that the world and you and I commit. Jesus grew up like no worldly king. Jesus did not come to have a place and a name for himself on this planet. Instead, he served the one greater than himself as he lowered himself, his Father in heaven, and everything he did was perfect. He came in all humility. He came to serve. He came to use his power not to set things up for himself and the things that the people that followed him would have easy street. No, the people that followed him suffered right along with this king who suffered to the end. And where was his throne? It was not in a palace, but it was, it was on a cross. That's where this king that God sent did his best work, where an exchange was made. For all that is wrong and all that is tragic in this world, it was exchanged into God himself so that God, through that exchange, could give you the victory that this king earned. And the victory that this king earned really came in a much different place than a war that took place where, where clashing armies come and one comes out triumphant. No, it was a different place. It happened behind the scenes 
It was a war against death itself and the devil who came and thought that he could conquer the true king and then the tomb was empty and Jesus rose again. And that victory that resolves what we all face and what, what Bethlehem was crying about, the, the reality of death, that's when death had its undoing and that's when God began to change everything that is wrong in this world and now all that are connected to him all that believe in him will have resolution, will have victory. And all the kings and all the bad players and all the people that have misused their power and all the things and all the ones that have impacted even your life like the impact it had on our saviors and those, those innocent children and all the martyrs that have died, every knee is going to bow when the true king returns. And whether they like it or not, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is King. And on that day, we will not bow our knee in fear and anguish. On that day, we will begin to experience in a full and real and physical way the victory that this King brings. There is resolution to this, to this story to this account of, of those that are, that are slaughtered there in, in Bethlehem. I encourage you to go back and, and, and look in your own Bibles to read Jeremiah 31 because in that prophecy that said that there would be weeping women, God also says that he would bring those children back to their mothers, that one day they would see them again, not because they were innocent by birth, but in the covenant that God made and the connection to that covenant, the circumcision that was given to those children that brought them under the umbrella of God's grace and the fulfillment of that covenant, Jesus came to redeem all those connected to him and they would weep no more. So this seems like a pretty serious sermon to be preaching on the heels of Christmas. And I'm sorry if if sugar plum fairies and, and all the, the things that we bring with Christmas have just been tempered a little bit. But there are two sides to Christmas. There's the festive side of, of shepherds and magi and peace on earth and a child born in Bethlehem and the manger scenes in our homes that it preaches it. But there's another side of Christmas that is so necessary and brings peace to our hearts. Yes, we have the tragedy of, of Bethlehem and all those that died in connection to Jesus. And we have the tragedy of this world and the evil players in this world. But do you see what's rising up out of all of this? You see a king that God had a plan to send. And watch closely as we trace the life of this king. Because in this and whatever tragedy you experience, you'll see the love of God who who sends the one who is going to reverse all that is wrong in all of our lives. And the victory that he secures is a victory that is yours even now as you receive him in body and blood given and shed for you today. Today, we come and worship this king that is above all kings. And we allow him to have a throne room in our heart where he rules and reigns by faith. Dear Christians, be comforted in this truth because when this king returns, he is going to turn all tragedy into triumph. Amen.
Please stand. Now may the peace of God, which is ours through our Lord and King Jesus Christ, give us confident hope as we see our King comes to conquer all that is right and to rescue us from this evil world. Amen. We join in confessing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. In this creed, we use the language of we. Together, we come before our God and confess